Thirty years ago, Hyundai was seen as a small Korean company that made cheap, ugly, and unreliable vehicles. People even <laughs> joked about the brand, saying you could double a Hyundai's value if you filled it up with gas. But nowadays, they are among the best quality vehicles on the market, outperforming giants like Ford, Honda, and General Motors to become the third largest producer of cars on the global market. But what's fascinating about this is the man who started it all. A farm boy who only wanted to escape from poverty left home as a teenager and embarked on a journey full of failures, misfortunes, and embarrassments. Despite the adversity, he went on to create the biggest company in South Korea, taking by storm not only the automobile industry, but also construction, shipbuilding, and so much more, turning himself into the richest man in South Korea. This is the rags to riches story of Hyundai, and the man behind it, Chung Joo Young. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you five dollars for every twenty you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine—you name it. Find out how to get your five-dollar rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Chung Joo Young was born in 1915 in a small village from Tongkong, a place now located in North Korea. At the time, Korea was under harsh colonial rule from the Japanese Empire, and Chung was born into a very poor family due to the terrible economy and restrictive environment they lived in. While his family worked long hours on the farm just so they could afford to eat, Chung dreamed of becoming a schoolteacher. But as the oldest of seven children, he had no choice but to drop out of school at age 14 and work alongside his father. From dawn to dusk, he planted and harvested rice by hand, raised the animals, and traveled from town to town selling firewood. But no matter how hard the family worked, they barely had enough food to eat, and one bad harvest would be enough to leave the family starving for months. Will I always be a farmer and never straighten my crooked back? Chung would ask himself, a farmer who will never be full for even a day, a life like this, to suffer like my toiling father. Is this all there is? Such thoughts haunted the young boy for years, who became tired and frustrated by the poverty he and his family had to endure. Until eventually, he had had enough. At the age of 16, he and a friend escaped their home village and walked long miles through the most dangerous parts of the country. Until eventually. Arriving at the city of Kowon, part of today's North Korea, there they found jobs as construction workers. And although they were getting paid very little, Chung was happy. He found it much better than the farm life, and was amused by the fact that he could earn his own money. But unfortunately, it didn't last for long. Only two months after his escape, his father found his whereabouts and brought him back to the village. But by then, it was too late. Chung had gotten a taste of the life he wanted, and there was no way he was settling for less. During the next two years, he would escape two more times to the city of Seoul, now capital of South Korea. But after each of these escapes, he was caught again and brought back by his father. You better not forget that you are just a farm boy who only finished the sixth grade, his father said to him. 
I hear Seoul is crawling with unemployed graduates. But who are you? A nobody, and a nobody like you isn't going to make it. Yet these words were not enough to stop the young boy, who, after watching the bad harvest strike the village and leave its people with no food prepared for the winter, decided to escape for the fourth and final time. And this is where the real joke begins. When Chung got to Seoul, he took whatever job came his way, working as a laborer, construction worker, and later as a handyman at a starch syrup factory. It wasn't until the next year that he finally found better work at the Bokung Rice Store. There, he was employed as a delivery man, transporting rice on his bicycle. But unlike his previous jobs, this one was stable and brought home lunch and dinner. Despite starting from the bottom, the owners were so impressed with Chung's work ethic that he quickly rose through the ranks until eventually earning the position of store accountant after only six months of employment. However, over the next few years, the owner struggled with health issues and soon realized he could no longer run the shop. So he decided to sell the business to his young apprentice, Chung Ju Young, who at 22 years old took over the Bokong Rice Store. Here, he quickly changed the business's name to the Kyonggil Rice Store and developed a new customer base thanks to its low prices. He did such impressive work that the business's profits climbed higher every year and was quickly becoming one of the best rice shops in town. Until disaster struck. The Japanese colonial government established a rice rationing system in Korea in order to divert rice to Japan and its army due to their war with China. As a result, many Korean business owners were forced out of trading rice, including Chung, who had to close his business and with nothing else to fall back on, had to return to his home village. However, he never lost his vision for a better future and decided to return to the city in 1940 and try his luck with a new business venture. He drew out a list of businesses he could operate that the Japanese government hadn't imposed restrictions on. The best one he found was the car repair business, and thus decided to run with that. He took out a bank loan and bought a repair shop to open his next business, the Edo Service Garage. At the time, the demand for auto repair businesses was very high in the city, but the problem was there weren't many shops around, and the few that existed usually overcharged their clients. Since Chung knew nothing about cars, he hired a talented mechanic to do the work and set his business apart by offering the cheapest prices in the city while taking good care of his customers. This simple approach kickstarted a thriving business, and Chung had to bring in more mechanics to keep up with the orders. But unfortunately, disaster would strike again. Just a few months later, a fire broke out and burnt down the entire shop along with their equipment and their customers' vehicles. This dragged Chung into a serious issue, as he now had massive debts to pay and nothing to show for them. In his eyes, there was only one way out. He took out yet another loan and opened a new repair shop in a busier part of the city. There, he quickly gained a new and bigger customer base thanks to their low prices, and over the next two years, the Edo Service Garage grew to become one of the best auto repair spots in Seoul, and with over 70 people working for him, Chung was now doing better than ever. But as he planned to expand his business even bigger, another event was taking place that would change the fate of his company. Japan was in the midst of the Second World War, 
And unfortunately for Chung, the Japanese occupational government took over his service garage in 1942 and merged it with a steel plant as part of their war efforts. At the same time, tensions in Seoul were rising because of the war, and Chung, still reeling from the loss of his business, had no other choice but to return to his home village. However, despite losing the shop, he had managed to save up 50,000 won and was looking forward to his next business venture. Little did he know, this new business venture was about to change everything. Before moving on to the next chapter, there's something I want to share with you guys. While a lot of you are car experts, if you're anything like me, when it comes to getting gifts for your girl, you could use a helping hand. That's why I'm happy to share this really cool device that I've come across recently. It's called Foreo Bear Microcurrent Device. Put simply for you guys, it's like a mini facelift from home device. That's right, it's the kind of gift that'll put a smile on her face and help her look younger. You don't have to take my word for it. In fact, Bear is clinically proven to significantly reduce wrinkles and improve skin firmness in just one week. 95% of users report their face looks younger. So, to make your life easier for belated Women's Day, birthday, or surprising gift, I've partnered up with Forio, the maker of Bear and one of the top companies in the wellness tech space. While this Swedish multinational offers a wide range of innovative beauty tech, the one that really stood out to me as the perfect gift to express your gratitude for her is the Bear device. So if you don't want to miss out on putting a smile on her face, click the link below. When the Second World War came to an end, Korea gained its independence from the Japanese Empire, and with no more government restrictions, Chung reopened his service garage in 1946. He called it the Hyundai Auto Service Center, which in English, the word Hyundai means modern. They began by offering their services to Japanese jalopies and US military trucks. And by the end of that year, the business had grown so much that Chung's employee network nearly tripled from 30 to 80 people. He had once again put together a successful business and could finally operate without any disruptions from the Japanese government. By then, he had brought his family together to the newly established country of South Korea, where they all took part in the business alongside him. However, while Chung submitted contracts for 300 or 400,000 won for his auto repair services, he later witnessed a construction company receiving up to 10 million won per contract. He was amazed that someone could earn that much money from a single project, and as a result, he founded the Hyundai Construction Company in 1947. The company initially struggled, barely managing to get by, building US Army quarters, auxiliary sites, and repairing buildings. But by 1950, the Hyundai company was finally making some great progress. But then... North Korea launched a massive attack on the south, forcing Chung to abandon his business and evacuate to Busan. With no money in his pockets, he and his brother wandered from place to place, working for various publishers and delivering newspapers to their citizens and the frontline troops. Spreading the news that UN forces were on their way to rescue them was their only hope, as people were more terrified than ever to fall under the North Korean regime and the Communist Party. 
One day, Chung stumbled across a Help Wanted sign by the U.S. Army. At the time, the U.S. forces were in need of local experts in the construction business, so Chung was eager to offer his help. He began building barracks for thousands of American soldiers during the war and soon developed a great partnership with the U.S. Army. He later brought his team to complete even bigger projects, such as remodeling a U.S. quarter in South Korea and building a lodging for the U.S. president during their visits. This proved to be a masterstroke, because by the time the Korean War ended, Chung's company was in first position to handle nearly every order from the U.S. Army. But at the same time, the South Korean economy was struggling, leaving it as one of the poorest countries in Asia, even below North Korea. In response to this, the U.S. government provided billions of dollars to the South Korean government in order to rebuild their infrastructure and help boost their economy. Chung saw the opportunity and managed to win a contract for the country's biggest project at the time, the restoration of the Goryong Bridge in 1953. However, this promising project did not go as he had expected. The reality was, Chung was still naive and lacked the necessary equipment, safety regulations, and experience for such a massive task. This led to slow progress, death accidents at the job site, and rising inflation eating into his fixed payment. Chung soon ran out of money and was forced to take on more loans, while his brothers sold their houses to help pay their workers. In spite of this, they never stopped production until the bridge was completed. But by then, the family was burdened with huge debts, lost money on the project, and were humiliated by their competitors. What would a guy who only finished the sixth grade know about inflation? A dummy like him had it coming. He doesn't even know that long-term construction requires an installment contract. After seeing his brothers destitute, with no place to rent, and living in small shacks, Chung Ju Young felt deeply guilty for his family's struggles and financial hardship. He vowed right there and then that he would not only build a successful business for them, but create the biggest company in the entire country. I had no intention whatsoever of abandoning my business. I had failed because I was lacking and in need of more experience. However, I brushed it off and simply thought of it as an expensive lesson. Although the Goryong Bridge was a total disaster, it also became the turning point in Hyundai's history. You see, Chung's company received a high credit score from the Ministry of Interior, which allowed him to receive loans much easier and help expand his business. He also learned the importance of heavy equipment and advanced machinery, and thanks to his partnership with the U.S. Army, he was able to buy what he needed directly from them. Back then, this type of equipment was mostly owned by the South Korean government, and private businesses were banned from importing them overseas. So this gave Chung a huge advantage over his competition. With this, the Hyundai company was able to make the cheapest bids and win countless restoration projects all across the country, building roads, bridges, dams, and buildings, turning Hyundai into one of the fastest growing companies in South Korea. But even with all the success, Chung was not satisfied with just playing domestically and soon became the first in his country to take his construction business to the international stage. He bidded among the largest firms in the industry and managed to rake in several billion dollar projects such as the Jubail Industrial Harbor in Saudi Arabia and the Arab Shipbuilding and Repair Yard in Bahrain. This led his company to go from a failing business to a rising global conglomerate in a matter of two short decades. And his goal of building the biggest firm in South Korea came into reality in 1960. 
But in hindsight, this massive growth would have never occurred if the government didn't intervene. You see, Hyundai, along with other family-owned rising conglomerates, received special treatment from the governments, such as financial subsidies, loan guarantees, and even tax breaks if needed, in order to grow and diversify quickly. These chables, as they later became known, were the main forces behind South Korea's growing economy and benefited themselves immensely by helping the country rise into a highly developed nation. But of course, it has to be acknowledged that this special treatment was not just awarded for no reason. Chung Ju Young simply worked incredibly hard, and his relentless growth was exactly what the government needed at the time. His do-or-die spirit got Hyundai involved in many other industries, including shipbuilding, store chains, electronics, and financial services. But there was one particular industry that Chung never lost sight of, the same business he once created but lost during the war, and that was none other than the automobile industry. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back in the 1960s, the Korean government established a new policy that no foreign automakers would operate in their country, unless through joint ventures with local businesses. This plan was to improve their knowledge and production line for their car industry, as the country largely lacked the technologies and resources to do so on their own. With this, Chung decided to re-enter the automobile industry and founded the Hyundai Motor Company in 1967. He struck a deal with the Ford Motor Company to license the use of their vehicles and established a large plant in Ulsan for the assembly line. In under six months, the Hyundai factory was completed and the first car rolled out from the factory floor, the Hyundai Cortina. The end product was no different than the Ford Cortina, a car built for the masses in Great Britain. And while the model was a huge success there, the Cortina turned out to be the complete opposite in South Korea. You see, these cars were built to drive on asphalt, but the poor road conditions of the country made the vehicle undrivable in most areas. As a result, the Cortina became a laughingstock in Korea, and people began to perceive them as useless cars. Customers stopped making their payments, and the demand for refunds spread all over the country. At the same time, the Hyundai factory was hit with severe flooding in September of 1969, with much of their equipment and car parts submerged under four feet of rainwater, while assembled Cortinas floated around inside the factory. To make it worse, rumors spread that Hyundai was now selling waterlogged vehicles, which further affected their sales and reputation, pushing the company to the brink of bankruptcy. But even with all these misfortunes, whenever people suggested to Chung that it was time to close the business, he'd snap back, saying, I'd never take down a single Hyundai sign with my own hands. Even if a business is struggling and everything seems hopeless, I will make it work. If I start something, I'm going to see it through. With this attitude, Chung simply returned to work and kept producing their vehicles for the next few years. 
As time went by and the road conditions improved significantly, the Cortina eventually gained higher sales in South Korea. Soon after, another Ford model was in the works for Hyundai, and the Ulsan factory began to expand with more room for production. But then, things began to sour. You see, the American car giant, Ford, refused to let Hyundai distribute the Cortina overseas, arguing that their partnership was not made for the global market, but the Korean market only. Ford also refused to compromise when it came to sharing the profits equally, since Hyundai was not the one sharing the Cortina's line structure or technologies in the first place. In Chung's eyes, what Ford really wanted was to take over the Korean market themselves, while using Hyundai as a subcontractor for cheap labor. In his book, Chung is quoted saying, There was no way I was about to let that happen. Furious with Ford, he terminated their contract in 1974 and decided to build a brand new car, only this time on his own terms and playing by his own rules. While he didn't know it at the time, Chung was about to change the whole Korean car industry into what we know it as today. After terminating the contract with Ford, Chung immediately partnered with Mitsubishi for the use of their engines and rear axles and hired a group of talented European engineers to help design their next vehicle, the Hyundai Pony. Suitable for unpaved roads and with a price tag of just $5,900, the Pony became an instant hit in South Korea becoming the first mass-produced car in the country. It performed so well on their market that four out of every 10 cars sold in South Korea were ponies. With great confidence, Chung and his team began to expand their new model to the worldwide marketplace, where they sold fairly well and even became a best-selling vehicle in Canada. But in spite of the success, the pony couldn't be launched in the biggest car market yet, the USA, due to its failure to meet the federal emissions standards. However, Chung wasn't going to let that stop him. In 1985, they released a new model to the public, the Hyundai Excel, which successfully passed the emissions standards, allowing Hyundai to finally break into the American car market. At just $4,995, it cost half the average price of a new car at the time, and during its very first year, Hyundai sold a staggering 168,000 Excels in the US market alone and a million more worldwide. It was truly a major breakthrough for the Korean car industry, and Hyundai had finally positioned itself as a major car brand, but not exactly in the way Chung had envisioned. You see, the problem was that they still lagged behind in terms of quality and reliability, and the public only saw them as cheap Korean cars with barely any features. Along with the cars needing frequent repairs and earning a poor reputation for their brand, their sales were also plummeting, and Hyundai soon became the butt of jokes in America. At one point, people mocked their name, saying it stands for, Hope you understand, nothing's drivable and inexpensive. To turn itself around, Chung and his team worked tirelessly to bring the brightest talent and develop their own engines and car parts. By the 1990s, a series of new models followed suit, such as the Hyundai Accent, the Sonata, and the Elantra. And while these models initially struggled to take off, they eventually gained higher sales as they started catching up with the latest features. Hyundai went on to acquire Kia Motors in 1998, and this joint venture marked the beginning of a new era for Korean cars. 
Together, they invested heavily in the quality design and manufacturing process of their vehicles. And by 2004, they achieved the impossible, coming in tied with Honda as the second best initial brand quality in the industry, only behind Toyota. But even in spite of that achievement, Hyundai still struggled to shed their unfortunate past reputation in the public eye. However, Hyundai still had one more trick up their sleeve. To prove their quality, the company announced their 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty on all their vehicles sold in the U.S. And thanks to this, sales of Hyundai vehicles have risen to make them one of the top car brands of the 21st century. Chung dedicated his later years to philanthropy, running for presidential office, and even attempting to rejoin the Korean countries until meeting his end in 2001, leaving the control of his company to his sons. It is failures, rather than successes, that teach us invaluable lessons. It is not necessary to remember one's success. That should be remembered by others instead. Rather, we should remember our losses and failures, because those who forget their failures will fail again and again. Currently, the Hyundai Motor Group just surpassed General Motors to become the third largest automaker in the world, behind Toyota and the Volkswagen Group and they are among the top leaders for electric vehicles. This is the story of how a poor boy living in the mountains of Korea built one of the most powerful companies in the world, Hyundai. Thank you all for watching. Make sure to subscribe and like the video, and I'll see you in the next one.